Shivani, we bout to party, we bout to party, unrestricted, got the house now, we gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down, got that big space pump and make them bounce now, flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. This is AEW Unrestricted and we are the official, damn it, podcast of All Elite Wrestling, we're official. Right, we are official. We are official. I used air quotes, but it was more ironically because we're absolutely official. Yeah, like we've got a TNT logo and everything, which is silly because now we're on TBS. How about that? As of yesterday, mm-hmm. oh my god, we're taking over. This is fantastic. Uh, my name is Tony Shivani, and the chatty co-host who I love is Aubrey Edwards. It's a chatty bitch. That's what you wanted to say. <laughs> How you doing, Aubrey? I'm doing great. We're traveling back from Newark, which is where our uh, guest is from. Hello, Alex Abrahentas. How are you? Hello. Oh, I'm so excited, you guys. This is super cool. I'm uh, honored to be here. Really, I am. This is such an exciting thing for me. So thank you so much for having me. I think you've told me at least once every week since this was scheduled that you're excited to be here. So I'm excited to have you. Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you have no idea. Thank you very much. It really means a lot to me to be able to kind of tell my story because growing up, I always kind of hoped that I'd get this moment where I do a couple of things at the very least where I was able to achieve my dream and then hopefully be able to tell my story in hopes that that inspires or motivates somebody else. And that's really kind of been my life purpose. I think that's what my life purpose is to be able to help others kind of achieve their dreams and just kind of show that if I'm just a kid from Jersey, who came, you know, pretty much from nothing and made something of my life in some capacity that anybody else can do it. So that's why it means so much to me to be able to to do this type of stuff and and be here with such amazing people such as you guys, no matter what Taz says. I, I don't believe what he says. <laughs> Love you, Taz. You do. None of the other ones do. Okay. <laughs> you talk about being super inspiring and I want to talk a little bit about everything that you do, both for AEW and not. And my list is probably not complete so please add things as needed but you joined us as a spanish commentator mm-hmm. currently you're also managing the lucha bros mm-hmm. when you're not on tv you're this amazing qvc salesman that like is making millions of dollars by selling laptops to people at 3 a.m in the morning i don't hold on i know about the millions where'd you get that fact <laughs> hey hey this is wrestling i'm supposed to put you over man like <laughs> oh thanks okay yeah, keep yeah, going yeah. keep going <laughs> i think you now you now host a vlog about vlogs elite soup the Dynamite pre-show, you're a pug lover. Like, if you're not following Alex on Instagram, do, because his dogs are absolutely adorable and wonderful. Thank you. Anything I'm missing, what else do you do? <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't know. Sometimes I have to look at, I, I legitimately have to look at my calendar every day to figure out, okay, what am I doing now? But that's the cool thing about life. You can be as busy as you want to be or not, right? And for me, I'm like, we only have a certain amount of hours in the day. And there's so much that I want to do and so much that I want to keep doing that I just have to find times to maximize my day. So I literally will write down my day and be like, all right, I got to do this, 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 and this. And like every day is kind of like that. But, you know, that's just kind of who I am. I just love to be productive. I just feel like if I'm sitting down doing nothing, I could be doing something, you know? Uh, You also do the, uh, you still do the Dynamite post game show? Uh, We don't do that as often because now with Rampage, it's a bit challenging. Right. But 
you know, whenever we can, we'll, you know, we'll do things like obviously the fan fest. I'll help with that as well, which is super cool. We have our pay-per-view events coming up, obviously revolution, very exciting fan fest coming up in Orlando. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, so things like that. And I'm running around backstage doing a bunch of different things. I wear a, a bunch of hats and I, I couldn't be more grateful to do what I do and run around like a maniac every week. I get my cardio and backstage for sure. One thing that, that Alex does, I, I think that you really do that is great, is that when the Lucha Brothers are out, you put a, a lot of effort into getting the fans pumped up. Oh, yeah. And that is so vital to us. I, I, that's something I don't think that many people realize because we want fan response. It's important to our product. It's important to hear the fans cheer, to get behind whomever. And you are kind of like acting as a cheerleader out there. So I think that's a very, very important part that may get get overlooked. I know it's not overlooked by Tony Khan. Oh. I know that from talking to him, but it's a very vital, important part to what we do. Uh, that makes me feel like a million bucks. Thank you so much, Tony. I read these comments online about people who are like, oh, you know, you're living your best life and, you know, you get so pumped up that I get pumped up. And that makes me feel so amazing because every time I go through that tunnel, every single time I just take a second and I'm just like, thank you because I worked so hard. Like this has always been my dream to be able to go through there. You know, as a kid, I would dream about what it'd be like to go through a curtain and hear entrance music and carry a championship belt and just hear and see the crowd. And, you know, I went to every single wrestling show that I possibly could growing up and cheered my head off. So now to be doing what I'm doing, it's like, I, I, I have to pinch myself every time I go out there and I am just genuinely excited and thrilled and it just never gets old and it doesn't matter whether there's two people in the audience or two million people in the audience it's the same exact feeling each and every time and it's just such a thrill and such a dream so it, it just makes me feel so emotional thinking about it because it just uh it really means the world to me i think because most people know you as your on-screen manager persona now i kind of want to talk about how you got into that and i think it was correct me if i'm wrong but the match between cody and penta in jacksonville where we were first introduced to the Penta says. And <laughs> That's right. I remember watching this because Penta has this incredible charisma, yeah. which I mean, him and Ray both, right? Like it's one of the things that makes them absolutely great is that their faces are for the majority covered, but they're still coming across as the characters that they portray. Yeah. And you yourself added this extra level of charisma to everything that you were translating. <laughs> Who proposed the idea of you being... The translator, because obviously it went so well, it kind of like open, opened up all these other opportunities for you. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of, a, I guess, not a crazy story, but to me, it's just crazy of how everything kind of evolved, right? So I did an interview a while back, which I thought was only going to be on social media. And it was Ray Fenix and the murder hawk monster, Lance Archer. And Tony wanted me to interview them both and translate what Ray said. So I did it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Like, I'm just so honored to be able to be able to do this. Because at that point, I was just doing the Spanish commentary, doing the pre-show, post-show stuff. And uh, he came up to me and said, hey, can you do this? I said, absolutely. So I thought it was going to be just a social media thing. Then it was used for Dynamite. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I remember seeing Tony, I think that night after it aired or, or something like that. And he's like, oh yeah, listen, Penta's going to be on commentary. Just give me a heads up. And I said, oh, very cool. Great. And I love Penta. I'm like, this is fantastic. So I was told day of, and Penta and I got together, and we were talking about, okay, here's kind of the plan. Here's what I'm going to say. And I 
got together and spent pretty much the entire day with him, just making sure that we had it because this is this was his big moment. Like he's never spoken really for the most part and never in English. So this is like a really big deal. And I was so pumped for him. And then obviously I was thrilled that I got a chance to kind of help him out with this. So I spent the kind of the entire day kind of prepping with him. And I could tell that he was nervous because this was obviously such a big deal, right? This is live TV dynamite. This is his moment. We had just finished revolution and he was going to have this match with Cody that he wanted. Right. So we start with dynamite pentas sitting with us at Spanish commentary. The moment comes. Cody starts talking. Penta grabs the microphone and he says, hey, hey, Alex. So I go along with him. Penta says, essentially, hey, Cody, I'm a thousand times better than you. And at the moment, I'm kind of processing everything. And I'm thinking to myself, if I say this just as a translator, it's going to be flat. And that's not what Penta is. Penta is all about passion and excitement. And just, you can see it when you see him, you just automatically get amped up because the guy is just pure charisma, right? So I said to myself, I can't just translate this just like a commentator. This is going to be flat. And I know we're building to this. So there's got to be, there's passion behind his voice. I have to be passionate too. So I remember saying, hey, Cody, Penta says he's a thousand times better than you. And I needed to match what Penta was saying. And the Penta says just came out, you know, because I was like, well, that's what he's saying. He then goes, says, if you're the Prince of Pro Wrestling, I'm the Lord of Lucha Libre. Well, then I remember I said, Penta says first, I said, Penta says, and the second time I was like, oh man, all right, if he continues, I have to continue this. It just makes sense. So then we got a reaction there. And here's the kicker that a lot of people don't know. So at Daly's place, we were coming down the steps and I was supposed to kind of stop halfway during that second thing. But I was concerned that if something went wrong with what he was going to deliver at the very end, that I could be there for him. I knew how important it was to get this over and for this to work. We're on live TV. So I remember telling everybody, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go down with him. And I told Penta, anything that you need, I'm right here with you. Like, I want to make sure that he felt comfortable that he was there. So we go down and here's the big moment. Here's the kicker where he's going to deliver the line that sparks Cody to jump the barricade and attack him. So here we go. And it was so bizarre. It was so surreal. It was like a heartbeat was playing in my head. It was like, doom, 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 because he's got the microphone and everything was like in slow motion. And I knew that if he nailed this line, it was going to be it. But if he didn't, I knew this was going to be a big moment. So here he goes and he says, hey, Cody, you know what, Cody? And then I'm like, "Uh oh, you know what? Are you serious? And then he turns to me and whispers in my ear and I'm like, here we go. And I said it and I said, you know what, Cody, you're lucky Penta didn't break your arm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to hold your newborn baby girl. Mm. And then the crowd went nuts. Right. Cody jumped the barricade. And I knew at that moment, oh, my God, something just happened. Like, I couldn't explain it intuitively. I was like, this was magic. And I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. And I was just like, wow, what a moment. And then that was it. And I just didn't know what was going to happen next. And then next thing you know, I'm doing this kind of pre-tape with Penta as his translator. But the moment where I just lost my mind was I remember when we were filming Dynamite and it was every other week in Jacksonville. And the following week, it was going to be Penta versus Trent. Well, the graphic appears on the screen and I'm behind Penta. And I was just like, 
what? I'm like, at that moment, I was just like, I was so emotional because I'm like, oh my God, like all this work to get to this moment, here it is. And this just kind of so happened organically that it was just, I mean, God, I can't explain. I'm just so grateful. It was just awesome. From that moment on, I've just been living such a dream. Ah, I I can't even begin to tell you guys. I I have to tell you that on the entrance, uh, when you guys do a Seattle Miero, and that thing that you do with the between the legs, that like it's almost like a superhero pose. Yeah, yeah. it pops me every time. Oh, thanks, Tony. It, it pops me every time. I just I don't know what it is about it. It's it's almost as if I'm watching you because I know you so well and I know how much fun you're having. It's just to see you do that's just like. You know, I'm a big superhero fan. So thank you for for mentioning that. Yeah. It's funny because when we first got together, I was thinking, okay, well, I have to kind of create this identity that's separate from Alex, the commentator, because I'm no longer Alex, the commentator. I've got to match Penta's energy and his excitement and his passion. I started kind of slowly thinking, okay, what can I do? And that very first time that we went out, I remember asking Penta, I'm like, Penta, what do you want me to do? Like, it's so funny for as focused and as vicious as he's seen, he's also so laid back and chill and just the nicest guy, right? Right, right. So I'm like, crap. I'm like, I know I can't just go out there and just be some normal commentator guy. That would just bring him down. So I'm like, I've got to match his energy. So I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, well, he does cero miedo. So I did it the first time. And as I kind of gained my confidence in kind of figuring out this character of who this version of Alex is, it became a little bit more absurd and a little bit more ridiculous. And now I'm just, I give everything I got with that cero miedo. And I swear to you, it's just magical with that pyro and the crowd and them just standing there. It just, it will never, ever get old. It will never get old. And it's so much fun. I'm having such a blast. I think also the kind of it getting ridiculous and it going over the top (laughs) will also describe kind of what you wear coming to the ring. Because speaking of having to match Penta. Penta's style is very unique. It's very uh, eclectic. It's very out there. And then I think the first time you showed up in the same jacket, but was like opposite colors, I'm like, oh, this guy gets it. He knows exactly what he's doing. We actually had someone, uh, Blue Notes 1, we'll we'll do fan questions later, but someone brought it up. It's like talking about the shoes that you wore recently that like Uh (laughs) basically something like Gene Simmons of Kiss would wear. Yeah. How did the decision to start matching the level of style come up? Well, I knew it right away. You know, being in the business a long time, I'm like, your identity is everything, right? And you have to do things that stand out, help people remember who you are and kind of create this version of yourself that then is kind of marketable. So initially, I was wearing these kind of over-the-top jackets and these jeans and whatnot. When Phoenix came back, because initially I was just working with Penta and Phoenix was hurt at the time. So when they came back, we kind of got together and said, okay, they told me this is kind of what the Lucha Brothers are about. And this is kind of what we like. So I I kind of changed my look a little bit. So I'm a little bit more in these more modern suits now, but still with the gloves, still with the kind of crazy shoes. So it's a little bit more uh, of a elegant look because I'm representing kind of the tag team champions. So it's, it's been a little bit of an evolution. And it takes time to kind of define your character and learn and get comfortable with who you are and what this particular version of yourself is. So I always want to do something that helps people remember. And the Lucha Brothers are such a one of a kind tag team. And they're just fashion sense from what they look like from the stuff that they do in the ring is so flashy and so excitement that I'm just a normal, just everyday looking guy. I've got to find a way to 
complement what they do. And I think we've kind of found a happy balance. I do put a lot of effort into the look each and every time I go out there. I try to do something different, wear something different, wear something that complements them because I truly believe it's important, especially since we're a group. The normal everyday looking guy is Alex Abrahantes, who's had quite a journey in wrestling. We'll talk about that when we continue on AEW Unrestricted. We're here, AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. Tony and Aubrey talking to the wonderful and talented Alex Abrahantes. We talk a little about who you are in wrestling, this new character you've developed as a manager, but I want to talk about how you got into wrestling because you just celebrated your 25th anniversary in the business, which is insane. Congratulations. That's it's a long time. And the perseverance that you have to have in order to try and achieve what you've achieved is uh, that doesn't go unnoticed. So congratulations to you, sir. Oh, thank you so much. I want to talk a little bit about how you got into wrestling. Did you originally train as a pro wrestler? I, I did. I did. So my entire life growing up, I loved pro wrestling. And I remember, I think it was a, when I was 11, I made a decision. I want to be a pro wrestler. That's it. I'm done. Pro wrestling. That's what I want to do. I remember telling my mom at the grocery store, she's kind of the one that got me into pro wrestling. And she was like, okay, if that's what you want to do. And it was so nonchalant. I was like, yes, got mom on my side. Then I remember telling my dad. So I grew up uh, in a divorce household and I got to see my dad on the weekends. And I remember kind of sort of when I told him and he laughed at me and he's like, you're going to get killed. Are you kidding me? You're small. Like, come on, give me a break. It was one of those things. And, and then telling my sister, same thing. I was like, oh, it's just a fad. They kept saying, it's just a fad. You'll grow out of it. Someday you'll grow out of it. Well, let me tell you, I didn't grow out of it. Oh boy. And I just kept going and going. And I remember attending a show with my dad at Madison Square Garden. And the ring was there. We were there early. And I remember I'm like, hey, can we go down and take a look? And we went down. And I remember telling him, I'm like, dad, this is what I want to do. And at that point, he was like, hey, you know what? If that's what you want to do go for it. And I was just like, yes, finally, all these years of just chipping away, knowing that that's what I wanted to do, no matter how many people laughed at me. I got laughed at at school. I got bullied in school. I got laughed at by my teachers, but I knew this is what I love. This is what I wanted to do. I was going to go to Penn State at the time. A friend of mine met a guy online in an AOL chat room at the time. So my buddy, Anthony, I think texted me or called, no, called me because at that point we didn't have text. He's like, hey, I just chatted with some guy who says he goes to Penn State who says he can train you when you go there. And I'm like, wait, what? This is amazing. So I end up going to Penn State, reach out to the guy. He starts training me. Little did I know because I didn't know anything that it was just some backyard wrestler training me backyard. I had no idea because at that point, it wasn't like all this wealth of information. There aren't these amazing resources online, professional schools that you can go to. Like I had no idea how to get started. So this was my only in. So I do that. I, I start training with this guy. And then I don't know how many weeks later, I have my first match on December 6th, 1996. And I'm wrestling him and I have no business. I mean, no business being in a wrestling ring. None. He gives me a brain buster. Like my entire right side, I think, went numb. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Uh, I separated my shoulder in the match. Whoa. And I remember just being so amped up on adrenaline. And then afterwards, I was fine. But that night, I just wasn't feeling well, obviously. And then I realized, oh, I've got a separated shoulder. And I just didn't know any better. But through this process, I ended up making connection at the hearts. And I ended up going that summer and spending my entire life savings to train in Calgary, Alberta, Canada mm. with the hearts. And I spent three months up there 
And honestly, it was such a dream come true because I remember in middle school, like staring at the map, you know how they used to have those maps in the classroom of like the United States and whatnot. I remember always staring at Calgary, Alberta, Canada and telling myself someday I'm going to go up there. And I just kept dreaming about it. There was, I had the honor of training in the dungeon and it was such an amazing experience. Like my first session, Stu comes down from the kitchen and watches me train. And that was a big honor. It was so amazing. And I got a chance to bond with the hearts and eat Sunday dinner at their house multiple times. And at the time it was 98, I believe it was. And this was when the whole Brett and Sean thing was going on. And I was living, hearing what was going on backstage through the hearts. Uh And then Canadian stampede just happened to be taking place. The pay-per-view, the in your house, where it was the heart, foundation versus what austin lod gold dust and i was there backstage and i will never ever forget that night it was one of the most magical nights the crowd was just so electric getting a chance to meet everybody backstage it was mind-blowing i couldn't have written a a better story for me as a lifelong pro wrestling fan to to have that experience so yeah that's kind of how i got into the business so you got to know owen hart this 98 was before he passed away yeah, and I didn't really get to see Owen, Davey, or Brett much because they were always on the road. Right. I did run into them a couple of times. There was a big heart family event that they ran for, I think, whatever the government is there. They had some big party at the Hart family, and then they came. And I saw them doing some press and obviously backstage, and everybody was so cool. It was just, it was such an amazing experience to be able to hang out and, and meet Davey and his family and obviously Brett and Owen. And, you know, I love the hearts. They're, they're really great people. We're, we're finding out now here on this podcast, how diverse you have been in wrestling uh, manager. We talked about trained with the heart foundation. You obviously announcer manager in AEW, but you also were a part of the WWE creative team, right? Yeah. So you, you've done. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, you've done more in wrestling than I ever had, and I've been in it for oh, a long, long time. No, way. no, really. Yeah, you have. I've been very, very blessed to be able to do so much. This is why I just can't stress enough to everybody out there: if you have a dream, it's not going to be easy. It is not. There are going to be times where you're going to want to quit. There are going to be things that you don't want to have to do to continue to get to where you want to go. It is totally worth it. It's like saying, hey, you know, uh, someday I want to go to Alaska, right? And you take a road trip and then there's a detour because the road is closed and you have to go some completely different way to get there. But you'll get there as long as you know, listen, no matter what, I'm going to do that. You got to put in the work. It's like planting a seed, right? You can plant the seed and be determined that seed is going to grow, but you have to water each and every day and give it sun and be patient and wait and know that it's going to happen. And that's what the wrestling business really has been for me because I have been blessed to be able to do so much and I've sacrificed and I just want everybody to know out there that it's totally a thousand percent worth it when you get to where you are. And I always say that we've made it to the promised land here in AEW. And I, I'm just so grateful to be able to work with so many amazing people every single week. I mean, it's just such a joy and blessing to see you guys, Tony and Aubrey and everybody else backstage and then see people that I've known from WWE, you know, like Billy Gunn, Jericho, Mark Henry, like it's insane to me to think that I worked with them in one capacity back in 2001. And here we are working for this amazing company, you know, in 2021, 22, actually. Talk about that, uh, being on the creative team back then. How, how was that? 
it was insane. It was insane because it was, I think, a group of seven of us. Right. It was Raw and SmackDown were together. We had the WWE had just acquired WCW. Sure. And it was just such a crazy time because we were trying to figure out what we were going to do with WCW. And there weren't a lot of people who knew a lot about WCW. Now, I, being a massive wrestling fan, knew about WCW and I would speak up saying, hey, well, you know, this person did this and this person did that. So I was very grateful that I had knowledge about WCW and that I had followed the product. It was insane. Like, I remember working from like the morning I got up to like the morning I went to bed and like one day there felt like an eternity. Mm. It had its amazing points because here I am 23 at the time on top of the mountain, essentially, like I knew that that was my dream to get there. It was insane working with Austin. My first night, I sat on the couch in Vince's office at an arena and sitting next to me are Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, Triple H, and Vince. And I'm just literally like, I, I can't believe this is this is insane. This is insane. What the hell am I doing here type thing, right? Exactly. A hundred percent. I was like, this is insane. So it was an amazing experience. Listen, there are some great people that work there and there are some ups and downs just like there are in any company. And I'm really grateful to have had that experience and that experience helped me get work to where I am today. But yeah, I'm really grateful that I had that that experience. So how did you end up making the transition to broadcasting? Wrestling was always my thing. I graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism and I swore I'd never use it because <laughs> I, I knew I'm like, I don't need a degree in broadcast journalism to be a professional wrestler or to work in the wrestling industry. I don't. Not at all. You don't need one to become an announcer. Right. Yeah. So you don't. Yeah, I, exactly. So I figured, you know, OK, I'll just get my degree for the sake of having my degree and doing it right. And listen, I'm totally grateful. Again, having a college education and, and working in the indies and everything else in that capacity was don't regret any of it. So I started my own company for actors, models, and entertainers in New York after WWE. And I started pursuing acting and I started doing stuff in that realm. But the wrestling bug was still there. Like I, I it's inside of me. It's who I am. I can never get away from it. I started a site where I would post entertainment industry news. And I'm like, well, pro wrestling is entertainment. I want to start doing stuff for that. I didn't want to make it a dirt sheet. I wanted to be a business side where wrestling fans who wanted to pursue a job in the wrestling industry could maybe go and get information. So I started creating a database of independent pro wrestling uh, organizations. And I discovered one in New Jersey. Well, it turned out to be the same town that my dad is from. And I'm like, well, this is kind of weird. So the guy emailed me and he's like, hey, can you post my stuff on your site? And I see his name. And I'm like, wait a second. My dad had employed him for many years and I worked with him many years in the summer for my dad. And all we did was talk pro wrestling. And here he is running his own pro wrestling promotion in the same town. And I'm like, this is bizarre. So I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. So I went, I ended up talking to him and I'm like, this is so cool. A couple of weeks before that, I had actually gone to TNA. They were filming in Orlando, Florida full circle moment, right? Universal. Yeah. I had uh, reached out to David Sahadi, who was a producer at WWE. And I said, listen, I love this business. I can't get away from it. I think TNA is going somewhere. I really want to be a part of it. Like, how can I get involved? So he's like, listen, come down. I'll introduce you to Dixie and see what happens. I'm like, great. So I went down. I met a bunch of people in the backstage, reconnected with some people, met Dixie. And I met this guy named Jay Lethal. Well, Jay Lethal was an up and coming pro wrestler who was from Elizabeth, New Jersey. 
I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Oh my God. So right away, I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> so I met him, right? And I hit it off. And I'm like, this is so neat. You know, congrats. This is great to see somebody from Elizabeth make it. And uh, sure enough, a couple weeks later, this is when I went to that wrestling school that my friend, the guy that my dad employed, and I'm talking to him. And what does he tell me? Oh, yeah. And my head trainer is Jay Lethal. And I was just like, what? This is all meant to be. Yes. It was so weird. It was so crazy. So sure enough, I can't remember whether it was that day or I came back, but then Jay Lethal walks through the door and I'm like, this is so bizarre. So anyway, I ended up working and uh, managing, ironically enough, because I always wanted to do the managing stuff. I was wrestling and I'm like, I've never done managing and I think I can do this. So I started managing for that promotion and I became good friends with Jay. And I'm like, Jay, you know, I really want to work for TNA. And he's like, well, listen, why don't you come down and I'll introduce you to one of your good friends, Tony, Terry Taylor. Sure. And uh, chat with Terry and, uh, you know, see where it goes. And I'm like, awesome. So I go down to Orlando, fly myself down, meet everybody kind of backstage again. And I sit down and Terry was just so awesome. Like he didn't have to meet with me. I'm just some random kid, right? And he's like, okay, so, you know, what can I do for you? And I kind of told him what my dreams were, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to help. He basically told me at the end of this conversation, he's like, hey, listen, I am not telling you to do this, but if you want to prove yourself, work for free. And I remember, I'll never, ever forget this moment. There was this one guy who worked there. He did a bunch of odd and, odds and ends, and I can't remember exactly what his role was, but he was listening in on the conversation for some reason. He's like, ha, I could never work for free. I'm like, I'd never do that. And that resonated with me because I'm like, that's the same type of person who told me that I'd never make it. That's the same type of mentality that all those other people who told me that I could never do it. And I said, Terry, thank you. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I wasn't making a lot of money at the time. And I flew myself down for six months straight to Orlando, Florida, and networked my butt off at TNA until finally I got connected with the head of marketing, a guy named Dan Stevenson, and then Jason Walker, who was in charge of licensing, told them my ideas. They loved it. And I created this program called TNAU, which was a program that allowed, at that point, college students to help promote TNA wrestling across the country. And then I built that up. And eventually I did a presentation for Dixie and she loved it and said, you know what? We're flying you down every show. And that was my end to TNA. And that's how I got started working for TNA. And I was there for three years. It's amazing because how many people from TNA do we currently work with, right? Oh, yeah. It's such a full circle moment. We have such amazing production people, such amazing talent. But then from there, another full circle moment while I was there, I got a message from Mark Jindrak a guy that you know, Tony, yeah, former WCW wrestler, former WWE wrestler. He reached out to me and he said, hey, listen, there's a guy who's starting a Lucha Libre promotion on MTV. He's looking for a head writer. And I mentioned you. And I said, oh, well, cool. Thanks. You know, and at the time I was like, listen, I'm really happy where I am at TNA. But he's like, listen, you should just talk to him. The guy's in New York. And he's like, oh, once I reach from New York, I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm in Jersey. That's cool. I'll talk to him. But I was really happy with the way that kind of things were going at TNA. And I was like, I don't know. I'm, I loved everybody there to think of going elsewhere. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll have the meeting with this guy. I remember this was going to be my first ever like big vacation, like my big adult vacation that I had worked for. So I was going to Grand Cayman in the week on the weekend. I was going to be gone for like an entire week, which means I wasn't going to have any type of internet connection, no cell phone, nothing. And the guy wanted to find a guy right away because this project was ramping up really quickly and he needed somebody to go on board. 
So I had a conversation with him on a, on a Thursday and I was like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, this sounds interesting. And he's like, well, why don't we meet? Are you free tomorrow? And I'm like, all right, fine. So I went into the city and we met at a Starbucks and this is just the craziest story. And I tell you, the universe will do wacky things and you have to be and pay attention to it because this is like the world telling you this is what you need to be doing. So I have a conversation with him and the iPad had just come out. And I remember showing him the iPad. We were talking about technology and I showed him the iPad. A homeless guy came in and he starts kind of panhandling to us. Within a matter of moments, the barista comes out and confronts the homeless guy, basically saying, hey, you can't do this. And within like a matter of seconds, they get into a brawl right in front of us. The homeless guy's cane ends up in my hand. I'm standing on this side of the table. Steve Ship. The guy that I was talking to about Lucha Libre USA is on the other side. And we're looking at each other like, this is the most bizarre meeting that we've, you know, like, it was just ridiculous. Like, what are the chances this brawl breaks out, right? And at that moment, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to be doing Lucha Libre USA. Oh, my God. I made the choice and ended up uh, becoming the head writer and eventually the vice president of Lucha Libre USA, Fast Warriors on MTV. So your your journey, your story is really an amazing one. And not only that, it is uh, one that uh, everybody should look at when they want to get ahead in life or live out their dream. We're going to talk more to Alex about his journey and also field some fan questions when we continue on AEW Unrestricted. We continue on AEW Unrestricted. We're talking to Alex Abrahantes, who uh, is just a floridist with this great story of his journey in pro wrestling, which is, uh, it's wonderful. It really is. Before we get to fan questions, how did you get involved with QVC? Well, again, it's such a, a bizarre thing. So I was talking about Lucha Libre USA, and that was such an awesome experience because I got to do so much from booking the shows, writing the shows, producing pre-tapes, hiring talent, you name it. It was awesome. But unfortunately, it ended up not working out in the long run, issues with investors and trying to get it going. And I ended up, unfortunately, trying to do it all myself because people just kind of kept falling out. And I reached a breaking point where I just, I couldn't do it mentally and financially anymore. And I said, I have to find a real job until I can figure out what I can do. I was just so burnt out. You know, when you love something so much and you've given so much, and then it's just like, Man, and that's the point that I was. And this is why I say, listen, your dream, you might get a taste of it. You might achieve it, but it can go away just like that. Just because you get it doesn't mean that you have, that you can't, you have to continue to work for it. You know, you have to continue to work for it. Yep. So I ended up talking to a buddy of mine who's like, hey, listen, I know of a job at HP. You know, it's a district manager role and you'd be doing this stuff with technology. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a tech geek. I love tech. I'm like, this could be fun. I'm like, why not? Let me give this a shot and see if this works and, you know, figure stuff out. So I took this role at HP as a district manager and it was a lot of hard work. I was managing different accounts and bouncing around, traveling around kind of the Northeast doing my thing. I quickly realized that there was a lot of negativity into the role and it just wasn't for me. I was dealing with a lot of kind of part-time staff. I was managing a big team and there was a lot of negativity and it just wasn't me. And I remember having a breakdown because I'm like, I have done all of this amazing stuff in my life and I've been so blessed. And here I am doing this thing that is just eating me up because I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. 
So I remember having a conversation with my boss and I said, listen, and I had grown really close to him. He's a great guy. I said, I don't know what it is, but I can't do this anymore. And I don't have a job lined up, but I want to give you the courtesy of knowing that I'm going to be leaving this role. I just don't know when, but I'm, I have to do something else. So I had heard because I hosted an event, ironically enough, for, for HP in front of a crowd and it was so much fun. And I, I'm like, man, it really reminded me of the stuff that I love to do. And I had heard that the year before, the QVC host for HP had hosted that. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second, QVC, HP? I'm like, we're on QVC? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, how do I do that? Because ironically enough, get this, I had auditioned to be a QVC host like 10 years before that, and they didn't even give me the time of day. So full circle moment, again, I get in touch with the girl, her name was Christine, and she's like, send me your stuff. And I remember being at a Ring of Honor show and filming uh, essentially a, a presentation outside of the venue. And I sent it right to them. She sent it to QVC. QVC is like, yep, we want to see you audition. I came in and audition. And at that moment, they said, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing this. And I was just like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow. I'm like, thank you. So here's the thing. I had told myself just a couple weeks before this audition, I said, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to go on a cruise ship and become a cruise shopping guy because I'm a big, massive cruise fan. I had did a marketing job where I worked on a cruise ship for three weeks. And I said, universe, if I'm meant to be on QVC, then I'm meant to be on QVC. If not, I'm going on this cruise ship and seeing where life just takes me. Because at that point, I was just like, I knew I needed to get out of where I needed to be and I needed to follow kind of my heart and, and do something that brought me joy and passion. And sure enough, QVC worked out. And here I am almost six years later as the face of HP on QVC. And you know, I really do like it and enjoy it. Actually, I love it. This is absolutely insane. Like everything just like lines up in this fun, magical way. Like the universe is just, hey, Alex, here's <laughs> a sign. Please take it. Right. So you obviously believe in the theory that things are meant to be. Well, here's the thing. I believe I believe in the law of attraction. I read the book, The Secret back in 2002, and that changed my life because I realized that at that point, everything I had achieved at that moment, there was a formula to. And the formula is you make the decision. Like whatever you want, it's as easy as making a decision. You don't think about, oh, can I, can I, or oh, there's so, no. The first thing you need to do is make the decision. And I had made the decision. I wanted to be in the pro wrestling industry. I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I wanted to be on QVC. You know, I wanted to be a manager someday. I made these decisions. How I got there was just how I got there. Like I was going to put in the hard work, no matter what. You have to put in the hard work. So the number one thing is make the decision. Number two is work towards it. Again, it's like watering that sprout, that that seed that you planted. You have to water every day. Do something that's going to push you to that goal. There's going to be turns all across the way because there were for me, right? Every turn ended up taking me here to AEW where I am the happiest that I've ever been in my entire life working with amazing people, living my dream every single day, going through that tunnel, hearing that crowd, being with the Lucha Brothers. I mean, I can just go on and on about it, but I tell you, it is so worth it. You just have to follow that formula and believe that it's going to happen and then just put the work and make it happen because it will. 
It's so great. You know, I'm, I'm going to segue from your QVC story into our fan questions. Yeah. Because uh, this first one's pretty great. Question from Phoenix. Any plans for an Alex Abrahentis infomercial for AEW shop or AEW <laughs> games? <laughs> Wait. Okay. There's so many things to unpack. First off, infomercial. Well, listen, I'd love to do an infomercial for AEW. And it's for AEW games. Was that it? Games and shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. We have had kind of conversations. One of the things that I've always wanted to do in AEW from day one, actually, is do something with merch, like a merch show. So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's always been one of the things that I've had the idea of to do, and I think someday we will eventually get there. It's just there's, we, we have so much going on at all times at AEW that it's kind of hard to find the time to do everything. But I, I think it's a matter of time. And then regarding games, you know, I'm a huge gamer. So anything to do with games, I love. AEW Wild Ones, how was it to work with The Rock <laughs> back in the day when he was in his Hollywood persona? The Rock is exactly what you see on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> he is such an amazing person. Like he is such a one of a kind, amazing human being. I had did that segment a year after I had left WWE and I came back to say hi to everybody. And I didn't get a chance to work with the rock because he was out doing Scorpion King. So I hadn't met him. I remember, um, Brian Gewertz, the head writer at the time of raw said, Hey, you want to do this thing with rock? I'm like, yeah. So, uh, he's like, all right, here you go. And I got a chance to kind of hang out with him before we shot that. And he was just genuinely the nicest human being on earth. Like he was just such a great guy where he didn't have to be right. He was a Hollywood star. He's, he had done everything in the pro wrestling business. And I remember specifically, and it just resonated with me so much at the end, him thanking me. He's like, Oh, we'll work together again someday. And I'm like, Oh, I hope so. And he's like, no, we will. And he was so adamant about it. And I'm like, well, I guess that's something that's going to happen at some day. And I still have my fingers crossed because he's just such an amazing human being. And I am just so happy for everything that he's done and all the success that he's had. And he is a guy that you can look at who is the true representation of the American dream, right? Like, yeah. good for him. You yeah. know, way to go, Dwayne. It's awesome to see what you're doing. I want to make sure we hit on some of these toy questions before we're out of time. Oh, okay. All right. Johnny Cisco asks, who is your favorite Transformer? And how great was the 86 movie? Oh, all right. So, I mean, amazing. I just watched the 86 movie a couple of weeks ago. I bought it on Blu-ray and uh, it still holds up. I am such a big Transformers fan. And part of the reason why is, so I mentioned as I grew up, I was uh, a product of a divorce household and my mom was always working and I was home alone a lot. And wrestling is what got me through a lot of tough times. The other thing that got me through a lot of tough times when wrestling wasn't on was 80s cartoons. I always identified with the good guys. You know, I always wanted to be a good guy because the cartoons, they, you know, it was all about a moral and a story, even though it was just a cartoon. So I, I love the Transformers. But ultimately, my favorite Transformer is Galvatron. But I do have a new Transformer that I love. This is a dream come true for any kid. So this is Optimus Prime, but this just isn't any Optimus Prime. This is the Optimus Prime of my dreams because this Optimus Prime. <laughs> I am Optimus Prime. <laughs> This Optimus Prime. What is this? Oh my, God. oh my God. Hey, Optimus Prime. Greetings. Convert. <laughs> what is this? Okay, you have to watch the video version of this, everybody. Oh my God. It's literally, it's like CGI. Right? It came alive. Isn't this incredible? This is so awesome. Like, this is just. Oh my God. I love the day and age that we live in. So I geek out over toys because it just brings me such good memories of good times. And uh, like, look at this guy, like he's, he's breathing, you know, this is just, 
This is so cool. That looks absolutely incredible. Thank you. I think he'll join us for the rest of the uh, unrestricted. That's okay. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> he, he might. He might do things. He just kind of randomly does stuff, and he scares me actually. He's kind of breathing. Yeah, he is. He is. Which is this is this is crazy. He's like totally sentient. Oh, yeah. this is wild. Yeah. We have time for really just one more question. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I know you've been on Toy Hunt with uh, All Ego Ethan Page. And I-, I know you have a prized toy collection we've just seen. But here's the question I wanted to get to. It's from Amesh Das. Were you ever truly part of the Dark Order? Ah, <laughs> yes. I'm so happy that someone asked that question. No. <gasps> no, I mean, I can't answer that right now because I'm good friends with the Dark Order. Uh-huh. So, yeah, no, that's not a question that I can answer right now. But, yeah, thank you for asking that. Wow. Hey, right? Okay. Right, Optimus, right? It's the Optimus knows. Optimus is dancing now. <laughs> yeah. Optimus is also a friend with the Dark Order. So. He is. Listen, I, I love the Kool-Aid. I love the Dark Order. So I'm going to mm-hmm. defer that question to a later time, right? I wish we could talk for like five more hours because I'm sure that you would fill it all with these amazing stories and show us all these cool, amazing toys. And this is absolutely incredible. My mind is blown. You were already this incredibly inspirational person. And now I'm just like, holy crap, I want to be Alex when I grow up. Like, that's that's what I'm oh, feeling thank right you. now. <laughs> no, you be Aubrey. You're doing pretty darn good yourself, Aubrey. Breaking barriers. You're You're killing it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm just trying to keep up with you, man. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you can follow Alex on Instagram and Twitter on the air, Alex. And I want you to plug All Elite Soup for a second if you can. Yeah, sure thing. So with so many vlogs in the AEW vlogosphere, I thought it'd be awesome to uh, kind of talk about them each and every week. So that's what I do with Elite Soup. You get um, kind of the cliff note version and then sneak peeks of what's to come. And it's so much fun. It really is. So absolutely incredible. You can listen and follow this podcast, AEW Unrestricted, for free wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely watch the video version of this so you can see this cool toy that's uh, currently staring me <laughs> with daggers. I don't know. Optimus mm. might turn heel in this, in this episode. You, could, you never know. It's, it's possible. Also, don't forget, Elevation comes your way Monday nights, AEW Dark on Tuesday, both on YouTube. Friday nights, we have a Rampage, 10 o'clock on TNT, and Dynamite Wednesday on TBS. Eight o'clock. That's right. As of as of yesterday, this is That's exciting. Right. We're taking over. That's right. Of course, Alex. You can reach him on Instagram and Twitter at on the air Alex. That's A L E X. So, uh, Alex, great stories, man. Oh, thank you. Great inspiration. Thank you. You're you're a tremendous guy to work with in the backstage area. You're always positive. You always have a lot of energy. <laughs> and now we know why you worked hard <laughs> to get where you are, buddy. Thanks for all you do. Oh, thanks, guys. I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate it. And uh, I love seeing you guys each and every week and love all you fans out there. Thank you so much for supporting AEW. Keep believing yourself, doing what you got to do. Stay positive and be a good person and great things will come to you. I'm Aubrey Edwards with my co-host, Tony Schiavone. Thank you so much for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up. Pumping, make them bounce now. Flossing like they're bossing, and the freaks are coming out.